invite you again to focus our attention on Daniel chapter 2, again, which Missy read for us earlier. As we come back to this, I just want to read again the prayer that, that Daniel prays, as it is a prayer even for us this morning as we come to His Word. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. For He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with Him. To you, O God, my, of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Father, would you give us wisdom? Would you reveal those deep and hidden things that you have for us in your word and which have been revealed through your son, Jesus Christ, more clearly to our minds and our hearts, that we might know you and worship you? In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may remember Ray Parker's hit theme song from the movie Ghostbusters. Anyone out there? I'm dating myself. Maybe I'll do this. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? If you're seeing things running through your head, who are you going to call? Well, I'm not in any way endorsing the movie, but you have to admit it's a catchy tune. And as we go through the book of Daniel over the next weeks, we're going to see that there are some strange things going on in King Nebuchadnezzar's neighborhood in Babylon. And as we see here in chapter 2, we find that the king himself has some strange things running through his head. He's having dreams, and they're causing him a, a troubled or a restless spirit, and they're keeping him up at night. And in some ways, the message of this chapter and that of the rest of the book can be summed up in the question of that song, when you find yourself troubled in spirit, when you're facing a situation that, that shakes your world or keeps you up at night, that threatens the source of your, of your security, your, your significance, your peace, who are you going to call? Where do you turn to receive wisdom and hear truth and find comfort and courage and confidence and hope for the future? Will you look to yourself or to your own abilities? Will you look to the ways and the wisdom of the world around you? Or will you look and listen to the God who is sovereign over all things? Who has revealed Himself in His will? Who is working all things uh, to bring about the establishment of His kingdom and the good purposes for His people? Well, who does Nebuchadnezzar call? He calls his version of the Ghostbusters. We might call them the dream team. He, he calls in verse 2 the magicians, the enchanters, the, the sorcerers and Chaldeans who were the, the, the astrologers of the day, like the magi who came to seek the baby Jesus in Bethlehem. These were the, the wise men of Babylon. They represent the best of, of the spiritual and psychological and scientific advisors that he could muster up in his administration. Now, it was common in that time, and we see it throughout Scripture, that to place great emphasis on dreams and visions, and, and God often gave those to His people as, as supernatural glimpses into the future. And so kings like Nebuchadnezzar would have a staff of people 
to help interpret these things. And these guys were used to, to this. So when Nebuchadnezzar asked them for the interpretation of his dream, they say, no problem, king. Just tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. But there is a problem this time. <laughs> the king throws them a curveball. He says, this is how it's going to be. First, you tell me the dream that I had. And then you give me the interpretation. And if you can do that, I'll reward you with great gifts and make you uh, great, give you great, great honors. But if you can't do that, I'm going to have both you and all of your household destroyed. And what we see in the rest of the chapter is what I've called a, the, the recipe and remedy for a restless heart. In response to this, this disturbing dream, Nebuchadnezzar is confronted with the limitations of his and of man's wisdom and understanding and power. And he's given the revelation of God's unlimited wisdom and knowledge and sovereign power, not only over his own kingdom, but all the kingdoms of men, which ultimately give way to the eternal kingdom and rule of God. And this is revealed not only in the content of his dream, but it's also revealed in the way in which God reveals it to him through his servant Daniel. So I want to take a look at this chapter and walk us through this narrative under three headings. First, a restless spirit. Second, a revealing God. And third, a rising rock. A restless spirit, a revealing God, and a rising rock. First we see a restless spirit. It wouldn't surprise us if we found Daniel and his three friends having troubling dreams or, or sleepless nights. After all, they were teenagers. They had forcibly been taken from their homes. They had been brought into a, a foreign land and put under the rule of a, a foreign king. They had been given new names and, and indoctrinated into new ideas and values. They were uh, uh, um, challenged by new lifestyles that were different than what they had been raised to believe and do. And while they were now several years into their, their training and fully employed now in the king's service, they were still very much strangers in a foreign land, facing the pressure of living a godly life in a very ungodly environment. But it's not Daniel and his friends who are up at night. It's Nebuchadnezzar. It's the king. And it's not just any king. It's the, the king of the most powerful and advanced empire and nation in the world at that time. Nebuchadnezzar was a man of untold wealth and power. He had everything you could imagine at his disposal. His word was law. He was, in fact, godlike in status and stature and viewed that way among his people. And yet he's having dreams that are causing him restless, deep, inner disturbance in his heart and that leaves him anxious and up at night. Now what is causing him such a troubled spirit. Well, Daniel gives us a hint at that over in verse 29 when he says, To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. Nebuchadnezzar was thinking about the future. And God, through a dream, began to give him a, a picture of what that future would be like. And so through this dream, even though he doesn't recognize it and realize it at the time, God is stirring his heart to consider 
the bigger questions of life. He's confronting him with the reality that he's not as wise, he's not as powerful, he may not be as in control as he thinks. And his kingdom is not as great as he might imagine. And what Nebuchadnezzar is experiencing is a restless heart of a person who is apart from and in many ways at odds with God. A man who is literally a great king over his own great kingdom suddenly through a dream finds his sense and source of significance. His security, his sovereign control challenged such that he becomes deeply disturbed. He becomes anxious and even angry to the point that he's got to find the answers. But it's not just kings and important people of power and influence who experience restless hearts. Augustine famously noted, God made us for Himself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Him. And so it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. If you find your functional significance, your, your security, your identity and your hope in in something other than God, in something in the things of this world or in your circumstances, if you approach life always from the standpoint of, of how things impact or reflect upon me and the, and the security control of your little personal kingdom, at some point, at some point, you will be confronted with a troubled spirit, with a restless heart. What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it that occupies your mind in troubling ways? Is it the threat of, of this time we're living in, this pandemic on our, our health or your livelihood or your children's future? Is it the political and, and cultural uh, conflict and chaos that seems to be all around us at all times? Young people, is it the pressure to do well at school? To get good grades or to make that sports team or get that role in the school play? Is it the pressure to fit in with the right crowd? Is it just fear of what the future holds? Parents, is it the weight of responsibility that you have for your children and the uncertainty of their future? Is it regret over past choices or decisions? Maybe some sin in your life that you're wrestling with or conflict that you don't really know how to deal with. Maybe it's just a sense of, of ongoing emptiness and dissatisfaction despite the fact that things seem to be going pretty well. What is it that keeps you up at night? Whatever it may be, God will use that to bring to mind and confront us with the reality that a heart that is not set upon Him is a troubled heart that will not find rest or peace in any other place. And He does that for, for Nebuchadnezzar through a dream. And so the king goes to where he usually gets answers for things like this. He goes to his, his advisors, his dream team. Only this time he challenges their wisdom, saying, Tell me what I dreamed. Help me to know what this dream is and then tell me what it means. It might be that he just really couldn't remember the dream and it was so disturbing he needed someone to tell him that. Maybe he was growing a little suspicious 
that his advisors were always telling him things that he wanted to hear and always pointing him in a direction that, that built him up. Maybe he realized that if they were getting their wisdom from the gods of Babylon, then surely the gods should be able to tell him not only what he dreamed, but what it meant. Pretty logical thinking, actually. But the challenge reveals the truth, which his advisors finally admit in verse 10. There is not a man on earth in all the kingdoms that can meet the king's demands. What you're asking, O king, is too difficult. In fact, no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Hear that. You see what they're saying? These are things beyond human wisdom. These are things beyond human understanding. Things we can't possibly know or discern. This is a question that only the gods can answer. And guess what? Our gods aren't really helping out. They don't live among us. They don't talk like us. They can't really know, we can't really know what they think. And so Nebuchadnezzar's world is rattled a little bit. His security is shaken. And when he seeks an answer, he finds suddenly his gods are either ignorant or impotent. Either they are unwilling or unable to reveal the truth to him, and neither of those is very comforting to him. And the reality is that both are true. Because they are no gods at all, but simply idols. Simply idols created in the minds and, and by the hands of men that as the prophet Isaiah points out in, in chapter 41 of Isaiah, they cannot predict the future. They cannot answer the deep questions of man's heart because they are simply empty delusions. And so when our spirit is troubled and we look to the idols of this world, be it material things like money, power, fame, health, or when we look to the wisdom of the world that promises countless paths to, to inner peace and, and happiness, those things that scroll constantly across our social media feeds, in the end, we will find that those things are ignorant and impotent to deal with the real source of our unrest which can only be remedied by a living, revealing God. And that's where Daniel gets involved. The king gets so angry with his, with his dream team that he commands his guards to kill all the wise men in the kingdom, which just happens to include the newly appointed Daniel and his friends, who find, suddenly find Arioch, the captain of the guard, at their door ready to kill them. They have a real reason to be troubled in spirit. <laughs> and yet Daniel does not respond with fear or frustration, but with faith. He asks the king to set him a time to show the king his interpretation. I mean, talk about a, a confident faith in the face of trouble. It's not a self-confidence. Daniel has no idea what the king's dream is or what the interpretation will be. Nor is it born out of a faith in his own ability to kind of figure that out and come up with something that will be appealing to the king. At this point, Daniel has no plan. All he has is the knowledge of, a God's, of God's sovereign power and saving purpose, even through troubling and trying times. Daniel knows God's Word. He remembers God's faithfulness and, and grace at work. In, in the life of Joseph in prison in Egypt and how he showed him favor and allowed him to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. There was precedence. 
He knew that the predicament of God's people in Babylon was simply a a fulfillment of God's promise to bring judgment upon His people for their rebellion. But But God would still not abandon them or leave them. He had already seen God's faithfulness and grace at work in giving He and His friends favor in the eyes of the king and the king's servants. Daniel was confident that God, who had already revealed Himself in many times and in many ways, and who had covenanted to be with and for His people, could, if He willed, reveal the dream and its meaning to King Nebuchadnezzar. He knew that. He didn't know if it would happen at this point, but he knew it. And so who does Daniel call? Well, first he calls his friends. But not for advice, he calls them for prayer. He calls him for prayer. He says, we have to seek the mercy from the God of heaven for this mystery. And then he calls on God in prayer. And notice the difference. Nebuchadnezzar's dream team concludes that it's impossible and, and their gods can't possibly figure this out. But Daniel knows that nothing is impossible with the God of heaven. And He is not only approachable in prayer, but He will hear, He will respond according to His great power and mercy. And that is exactly what God does. It's exactly what He does. That very night, Daniel is given his own vision and the the mystery is revealed to him. Can you imagine how he must have felt? If you had woken up the next morning, what would you have done? I would have bolted straight to King Nebuchadnezzar's door and been like, I I know, I know. That's not what he does. First thing he does is give praise and thanksgiving to God. He comes before him and blesses him in thanksgiving and praise. And his prayer of praise reveals the truth about God That God Himself is revealing to Nebuchadnezzar in this dream. God is the God of all wisdom and might. God is sovereign over the times and seasons. God sets up and and brings down rulers and kings and kingdoms. He gives wisdom and knowledge and reveals hidden things to those He chooses. If you want a recipe, excuse me, a remedy for a restless spirit, there it is right there. Our God is sovereign. He is in control of all things, no matter what the circumstances are around. And He reveals Himself. He shows mercy, grace, and faithfulness to His people. And He does that here in revealing to Daniel the king's dream. And so Daniel is taken to the king, and the king asks him, Can you tell me the dream and what it means? And Daniel, with great humility, says, No, I can't. In fact, there's no wise man, no magician, no astrologer, including me, who can do what you have asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and has made known to you what is to come. And God, brothers and sisters, God has revealed and has made known to you and me the mystery of His redemptive purposes through His Son, Jesus, who is the wisdom and the power and the righteousness from God for us, who do not trust in our own wisdom, our own power, our own righteousness, or that of the world, but trust in His 
powerful might in his saving work and his eternal reign as a king of kings. And that's what God reveals to Daniel and to King Nebuchadnezzar in his dream. We have a restless spirit of revealing God and he gives him this dream now about a crumbling statue and a rising rock. First, Daniel reveals to the king the content of his dream. A great shining, bright image stands before him, frightening in its appearance. Its head of gold, its, its shoulders and chest made of, of silver, its, its waist and thighs made of bronze, and, and its legs and feet made of, of clay and, and a mixture of, excuse me, of iron and a mixture of clay and iron. And suddenly, in the midst of this dream, this, this stone that's not been made with human hands, twice we're told, is not cut out of human hands, comes and smashes the image, the image's feet. And then the entire statue explodes into pieces that fly away into oblivion and, and away like chaff blown in the wind. And the stone begins to grow into a great mountain that, that eventually spans the entire earth. Kind of reminds you of something out of the Marvel comic movies or something, doesn't it? This, this superhero coming in and smashing things to pieces. But it's no movie. It's a picture of what, what God is and will do. And then Daniel says to the king, now we will tell you the interpretation. Again, not Daniel's interpretation, but God's. He is just the mouthpiece. And he starts with good news. You, O king... King of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands He has given the children of men and the beasts of the fields and birds of the airs. You, O king, are the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar's probably going, yes, that's good. Daniel uses this creation-like language to in essence say to Nebuchadnezzar, everything you have and all that you are, all this glory and magnificence before you, the power and the might and the glory of your kingdom is given to you by God. Your greatness and your rule is the gift of His hand. And it is truly great, but it is temporary. He says, after you... Another kingdom will come. One inferior to yours will rise. And then a third and then a fourth that will be stronger than the others, but it will be a divided kingdom. But then in those days, Daniel says, God will raise up His kingdom like a stone that will triumph over all the other kingdoms, break them to pieces, scatter them to the wind, and His kingdom will remain forever, filling the whole earth. Now, a lot of ink and debate has been devoted to exactly what these specific kingdoms and empires are and to the times and the periods spoken of here. And let me just say that, that we can't know for sure anything other than the head of, who the head of gold was because we're told that here. But the most common and fitting interpretation is that the, the four metals represent the successive empires of Babylon and then the Medo-Persian Empire and Greece and Rome that was in power at the time of Jesus' coming. But that's not the main point of the dream. What is clear is that these four successive human empires represented by this, this man-made image, in all their impressive glory, in all their power, will give way to the coming 
supernatural kingdom, not particularly impressive or made with human hands, but which triumphs over all earthly kingdoms and grows to fill the whole earth with its rule. And so here's the bottom line. The statue represents the fate of man's kingdoms, which through under the common grace and sovereign will of God are built by man as monuments to to his own greatness, to his own glory, wisdom, and power. And they will at some point crumble and fall away under the reign of God's king and his kingdom. Now remember, this was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It was not simply a a lesson in world history. It was meant to speak to his heart. He had a a dream, a personal dream of world dominion and significance. As we'll see in in the coming chapters, he saw Babylon as a testimony and a lasting monument to his own glory, to his own greatness. And friends, there's not one of us here that doesn't share at some level Nebuchadnezzar's desire for glory, for significance, for lasting impact. Indeed, it's part of our being created in God's image. But sin has distorted that image such that we, we now seek to make that impact and, and, and to, to um, magnify that glory for our own purposes and through our own wisdom and, and strength and control. Nebuchadnezzar's dream is a reminder that, that even the, the little personal empires and kingdoms and monuments that we seek to construct for ourselves will one day crumble in the face of God's everlasting kingdom. And so if you, you build your life on popularity and what people think of you, you'll worship the opinions of others. And they will eventually let you down. If you build your life on money and material things, you'll worship at the altar of, of, of the market and of possessions. And eventually, it will crash on you or they will go away. If you worship, if you build your life on health or, or appearance, you'll worship at the gym or, or in the mirror. And, and eventually, those will betray you. Your body will betray you. If you build your life on success, you'll worship your career, your achievements, and eventually they'll be taken from you. Ultimately, if we build our house on the shifting sands of things or systems of this world, it will come crashing down. Unless we build on the foundation of the solid rock that is God's kingdom and His revelation to us in His Word and through His Son, Jesus Christ. So who is the rising rock of Nebuchadnezzar's dream? Well, we're told very clearly that the stone, which is not cut from human hands, comes into the world by the divine action of God and represents His kingdom, which will stand forever. Notice it's the, it's the least valuable and showy uh, material in the dream. It comes in a form that's not thought of or very, very highly valued in the world. And it doesn't come in one fell swoop. But it starts out small and grows gradually until it covers the entire earth. Sound familiar? We know that the rock which ushers in and establishes the kingdom of God is indeed His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter quotes the prophet Isaiah and the psalmist in saying of Jesus, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
a stone of, of stumbling and a rock of offense to the things of this world. The prophet Micah speaks of God's kingdom in these terms. Micah chapter 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it and many nations shall come and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God, born into this world by the Spirit of God, coming in the form of human flesh. He came in meekness and service. He had no form or majesty, no beauty that, that we should be drawn to Him. He was hardly noticeable on the scale of world significance. And yet, and yet, in His life and in His death and resurrection from the grave, He conquered sin and death. He crushed the powers of hell. And God brought under His feet all rule and power and authority in the heavenly realms and on the earth. The kingdom of God broke in upon the kingdoms of man and the coming of the true King of kings. And it continues to grow and spread through the gospel and in the church until one day we're told every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the rising rock of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He is the eternal, powerful, righteous reign of God over all things. And it is also, it is now, it is here, but it is also not yet. Which is why we, like Daniel, continue to live as strangers and exiles in the kingdoms of this world. And it's why we, like Daniel, have the absolute certainty, the absolute confidence that our God reigns. Our God reigns. And He has redeemed His children. He has covenanted with His people so that no matter how unsettling, how troubling, how threatening our world or our circumstances may be, we have a God who dwells with us. And He dwells in us. And who is and will one day restore all things as they should be. And who will restore us to our rightful place in our eternal home in His presence. God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar what was to come in the rising rock of His kingdom. And He has revealed to you and to me in His Word and in the Gospel, His Son Jesus Christ. The stone that the builders rejected, but the chief cornerstone of His kingdom that has come and is ruling and reigning and is still to come again. So true peace is not found in the world or in our worldly circumstances. All the money, all the power, all the might, all the prestige in the world could not calm the restless heart of Nebuchadnezzar when he was confronted with the reality of God's wisdom and might over and above his own. And brothers and sisters, Jesus promised us that in this world we would have trouble. We will all face times where our hearts are restless, where our foundations are shaken, where the cares and concerns of this world keep us up at night. The question is, who are you going to call? Where are you going to turn? Will you call on the, the world's 
dream team of experts, the politicians, the professors, the professionals who purport to have all the wisdom and answers, but in the end, apart from God, will leave us hanging more frustrated and fearful. Or will you call on the God of heaven, to whom belong all wisdom and might, who is sovereign over the universe and all kingdoms, who has spoken and revealed himself to his people by literally coming down and dwelling in the flesh and offered himself up on the cross to remove the judgment of God's sin against God against sin. And will you entrust yourself fully to him? Notice for a moment, Nebuchadnezzar is humbled and amazed. He falls on his face. He says to Daniel, truly, your God is God. Of the, the, your God is the God of the, of the gods and Lord of kings. He is the revealer of mysteries. But as we'll see, he does not come to the place of, of fully submitting himself and his kingdom to God's reign. So we need to be careful that we don't just give lip service to God. Are we truly... Trusting in Him. And then he elevates Daniel and his friends to a place of prominence and power in his kingdom. And because Daniel understands God's sovereignty over all things, because he knows the nature of God's kingdom and His place in it, because he sees God at work even in the, in the, uh, the, the pagan kingdoms and, and rulers of this world, Daniel sees the opportunity as one that he can, he can use to make an impact for the Lord in the kingdom of Babylon. And likewise, God calls us to use the place and positions He gives us in this world of crumbling kingdoms to point to the rising rock of Jesus Christ, whose kingdom shall not end. And so the remedy for a restless heart is to know and believe and trust in the God who has revealed Himself, who has redeemed His people through the rising rock of His Son, Jesus Christ who is now ruling and reigning on His throne and on the throne of the universe. So when you're up at night and your spirit is troubled, call on the name of the Lord your God. Call on the Creator and Ruler of all things. Come to Jesus in your weariness, in your restlessness, in your fear, in your frustration, and find in Him one who is truly gentle and lowly of heart but powerful in wisdom and might. And you find rest for your soul and hope for your future. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you that you have revealed to us deep and hidden things. That nothing in our lives can we hide from you. You know what is in the darkness. Light dwells with you. Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world. And you entered into this dark kingdoms of this world. And Lord, we love the darkness more than we love the light. But in your mercy, you opened our hearts and our minds and you've given us grace to see and to understand who your son Jesus was and what he came to do and what he is even doing now through his reign on the throne. And Lord, we now, uh, through our faith in you, are citizens of your kingdom, aliens and strangers in this land, called to point people to you. 
and to your Son. Lord, may we do that not only with our lips, but with our lives in how we trust you in the midst of disturbing times, how we bring our restless spirits to you to know your peace, to live in your assurance. Lord, would you do that in us? Call us to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.